Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 105. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Now, more than any other time, now is a time to stay vigilant. On this vote, the yeas are 220, the nays are 211. The motion is adopted. The motion is adopted. The United States Congress has passed the COVID-19 relief bill, and it will be signed by President Biden. In our ongoing battle against the virus, reinforcements are finally on the way. Hope is rising, and spring is on the way. America's warming up by the day, and this is going to help big time. It's like a massive stack of Duraflames thrown on the fire that is America's growing warmth all across the country. It's a $1.9 trillion relief bill that includes $1,400 checks, stimulus checks for Americans nationwide, $300 a week in jobless benefits, a child allowance of up to $3,600 per year, more on that coming up, $125 billion for schools, $30 billion for public transit, $25 billion for rental assistance, $14 billion for vaccine distribution, $17 billion for the Department of Veterans Affairs, $2.6 billion for restaurants, $15 billion for airlines, and $1.7 billion for Amtrak, and things like easier rules for live entertainment venues. Help is on the way. But the vote was 220 to 211. Every single Republican in the House voted against it. Now, I'm an independent, and I just don't get it. It's bad policy and bad politics to vote against this bill. And as more and more Americans continue to leave the Republican Party, this ain't exactly going to motivate them to stay. But as spring approaches, help is on the way, including $17 billion to the VA. Billion with a B. And that includes $14.5 billion that goes toward things like vaccine distribution, health care, mental health care, staffing, suicide prevention, women's health, expanding telehealth, serving homeless vets, and stocking up on PPE, personal protective equipment. It also includes things like closing the 90-10 loophole in the GI Bill. This is kind of obscure if you're not in veterans policy, but it's a big deal. It's what requires universities and colleges to have at least 10% of their revenue derived from non-federal sources like tuition or fundraising. But under this loophole, which has existed since we passed the bill in 2008, GI Bill benefits and Defense Department tuition assistance programs are not counted as federal money. So for decades, for-profit so-called schools like the University of Phoenix ripped off thousands of vets burned out their benefits, and gave them degrees that were close to useless. It incentivized predatory schools, quote-unquote, to target student vets and members of the military. And it's finally over now. We've been fighting to close this loophole for over a decade. And this crisis has provided an opportunity to make overdue change. 
Advocacy is never a big bang. It's always a drumbeat. And the drumbeat got this done. Along with many other components, like the child tax credit. And all Americans are better off for it. So everyone from poor kids to public schools to small businesses to local restaurants to Amtrak to family-owned small businesses are about to get help. And stimulus checks are on the way to millions of Americans. Maybe you. By this time next week, you might have another $1,400 in your bank account. Yes, America, reinforcements are finally on the way. Yes, reinforcements are on the way. And in a time of war, like we're in now against the virus, that should be a bipartisan issue. And attention must be paid. Because spring is coming, but we're not out of the woods yet. Just like when you plant a seed at the start of spring, that seed won't grow if you don't give it soil, air, sunlight, and water. And the new COVID relief package is some of that sunlight and water for America to help our country regrow with money for schools to reopen and for people to get the vaccine and for kids to get out of poverty and businesses to reopen and families to survive. But just like you need to protect that fragile seed, that young sapling from predators, we must protect our country's recovery from those who will do it harm from enemies who are waging cyber attacks against our hospitals, extremists who are plotting attacks against our government, and elected politicians who are trying to do shit like block a bill to get veterans vaccines. Marjorie Taylor Greene, QAnon's favorite member of Congress, who denied that the Sandy Hook school massacre and 9-11 happened, the far-right promoter of conspiracy theories, and Republican representative from Georgia's 14th Congressional District continues to be bad for America. Every week, she seems to find new ways to do terrible things. And here's yet another reason that Marjorie Taylor Greene is bad for America. She's now slowing down vaccine distribution to veterans. She and several members of the so-called Freedom Caucus made plans this last week to ask for a roll call on a series of suspension bills. The move forced House Democrats to delay votes on 13 totally non-controversial pieces of legislation. These are the kinds of measures that are usually passed with total bipartisan support, either through voice vote or unanimous consent. But forcing a roll call vote on each of these measures would have taken up 10 hours to pass the bills because of the COVID restrictions in place in the House of Representatives. Among the uncontroversial bills being considered were congressional gold medal awards for members of the police force in Washington that repelled the insurrection and a bill to allow the Department of Veterans Affairs to vaccinate all 19 million veterans in America and their spouses, which would be close to 40 million people. Under the current rules, only veterans who are eligible for VA health care and certain caregivers enrolled in the official assistance program can get the shots. And that might be as few as half of the overall population. So House Veterans Affairs Committee Chairman Mark Takano, a Democrat from California, is leading an effort called the VA Vaccine Act. 
It had no objection and strong support from several prominent Republicans, including ranking member Mike Bost, a Republican from Illinois. But Marjorie Taylor Greene, in her attempt to get famous, to weaken America and win the award for biggest asshole in Congress, blocked it. More vets will get sick and die because of her antics. And our enemies are celebrating. Yes, this is really happening. So before spring springs, it's time to bring back an old favorite from earlier shows. The snow may be thawing in much of the country, but the stupid remains hard and cold. So it's time to warm up the award that's gone to so many before. From Senator Rand Paul for blocking benefits for 9-11 first responders, to South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem for throwing a 4th of July Mount Rushmore super spreader event, to the band Smash Mouth for throwing a maskless concert at the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally, to New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio for generally being a total disaster. It's time to bring back the award, recognizing true excellence in the areas of stupidity, ignorance, selfishness, and general assholery. Hit it, Bill. I drive really slow in the ultra-fast lane While people behind me are going insane I'm an asshole, I'm an Yes, independent American spring is almost here And the virus is on the run But the stupid is tough to kill It can live through the winter and it continues to spread and creep and crawl like the final few dirty gallons of snow water down a hill and in between the rocks. It may not be a rising tide anymore, but you can still step in the stupid and get it on the bottom of your shoes as you're trying to move forward out of the cold. If you're not angry, you're not paying attention. And now, more than ever, attention must be paid to what's being done and said in Washington and in the media. Because especially at this critical, fragile, hopeful time in our recovery, stakes is high. Yes, before spring gets here, stakes is high, and attention must be paid to how so many fail to stop the growth of this pandemic. Attention must be paid to how they failed to recognize the threat. Attention must be paid to how they experimented on vulnerable people with policies and snake oil promises like hydroxychloroquine and empty promises from charlatans like the MyPillow guy. And attention must be paid to how they still fail to recognize the danger of the January 6th insurrection and what could come next. And attention must be paid to those like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who would choke off the vital sunlight and water that our American sapling of a recovery desperately needs right now. Don't let them. We have to defend the growth of our sapling. We have to water our sapling. We have to be that chicken wire wrapped around it to prevent it from the scavengers and the vultures who want to pick it apart. Especially now, and especially around the pandemic, 
our recovery, and all things that touch it, attention must be paid. America is still very much at war against the virus. And either you're with us or you're against us. I never thought I'd sound so much like George W. Bush. But you're either with America or you're with the virus. You're with America or you're with the extremists. You're either helping America win or you're helping America lose. And this is a fight against the virus we can't afford to lose. We've got it on the run. We're turning the tide. And we can see the end of this if we just stay vigilant. Because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And that vigilance is needed now to crush the virus, just like it is around our national security, as we discussed in our last episode with Malcolm Nance. Because it's all intertwined. There's no greater threat to America than the virus, which will hurt our economy, empower Donald Trump and other authoritarians, drive people into poverty, hurt our military, deplete our resources, drive people into extremism, increase suicide, wound millions, and kill hundreds of thousands. It's all interconnected. So we've got to beat the virus and start to rebuild. If we do, we can rebuild back even better. We can be stronger at the broken places and have our recovery. Our more interconnected, more fair, more tolerant, more empathetic, more strategic recovery. That recovery can be the oak on the hill that our new forest is built around. It's the same rich soil. After the storms, after the cold, after the fire, after the pain, the new forests grow most richly after a few controlled burns. A new forest grows stronger after the fire, after the snow. And that regrowth starts this spring. Spring is almost here. The vaccine is almost here. Daylight savings time is here this weekend. And our VC day is coming. Better days are here. And more better days are coming like trees in a forest of saplings. But they won't grow big and tall if we're not vigilant. They'll require care. They'll require maintenance. They'll require kindness. They'll require helpers. They'll require discipline. And they'll require vigilance. Because vigilance is the price of freedom. And in our quest to stay vigilant and spread good information, like a Johnny Appleseed of podcast goodness, I will continue to bring you guests that can find good spots of land, select and share good seeds, and arm you with the information you need to keep your forest strong and healthy and stay ahead of the curve and to stay in a leadership role, whether it's in your job, in your community, or just in your apartment, whether you have a farm and dozens of acres or just a potted plant in your dorm room especially at a time when both parties are failing us, at a time when the media is failing us. This is a time for vigilance, for independence, for leadership, and of course, for the five eyes: Independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. This is the time when more and more of us need to be truly independent Americans. And as we dug deep in the last few episodes, this is also the time 
we need to find and share the hope. Because hope is the oxygen of democracy, and hope is out there, and it's rising. As we go deeper into March and spring comes closer, the hope is rising. The vaccine represents that hope. The new COVID relief bill represents that hope. The reopenings across America, the responsible ones, not the stupid ones like Texas and Mississippi, represent that hope. Our guest coming up represents that hope. And you, you represent that hope. Because so many have been vigilant, there's hope now. And this week, we got the most hopeful news in a long time. The CDC released new guidance that said fully vaccinated grandparents can visit safely with unvaccinated grandchildren. Fully vaccinated people can now gather indoors with other fully vaccinated people without wearing masks or practicing physical distancing. Hooray! What's more, fully vaccinated people may gather in a small group, like another household, even if that household has not been vaccinated. Hooray! So the CDC said that fully vaccinated grandparents can visit indoors with their unvaccinated, healthy children and grandchildren without wearing masks or physically distancing. Hooray! Former acting director of the CDC, Richard Besser, said this opens the door for grandparents to meet with their children and grandchildren without masks indoors for a nice big group hug. Hooray! So grandparents can hug their grandchildren again. Over the next few weeks, your social media is going to be filled with grandparent reunion videos. Happy, overwhelmed grandparents and kids of all kinds running together for long overdue hugs. Grandparent reunion videos are going to be the new troops coming home from combat at halftime to surprise their kids videos. And they'll be similar in many ways. The war may be ending, and it's the kids that helped us survive it. And maybe, most of all, maybe most courageously of all, maybe most devastated of all, have been America's grandparents. We lost hundreds of thousands of them, and we'll lose more. Grandparents are the most devastated group of people in this pandemic. If this were a genocide, Grandparents are the population that's been singled out, isolated, wounded, killed, and devastated more than any other group. Grandparents are the ones that have been hit the hardest. But grandparents are the ones that survived. They're the ones that sacrificed for all of us. They're the ones we sacrificed for. And they were the brave ones to stand up first and get the vaccine to make sure it was safe. And they're the ones we continue to be inspired by now. Grandparents are the hope. They are the hope that is the oxygen of our democracy. We can see light now. We can feel warmth now. We know people who have gotten the vaccine now. The snow is melting now. Baseball is starting again now. We hung in there. And our resilience is being rewarded. It's paying off. And President Biden has smartly communicated now that the COVID bill relief is done and infrastructure is next and good. Hooray. But we're not done yet. Tough days are still ahead. Sacrifice is still needed. The war is not over. But hope is here. 
Help is here. And much more is on the way now. And as always, more than any policy change, election result, or legislation package, that help is each of us. Each of us has contributed to the war effort, the war against extremism, the war against enemies, foreign and domestic, and especially the war against the virus. The most important frontline response is yours. It's yours. Whose world is this? The world is yours. The world is yours. It's mine, it's mine, it's mine. Whose world is this? The world is yours. The world is ours. We've helped each other. We've gotten the vaccine. We've worn masks. We're helping our country. We're supporting our national security. And we're winning the war. But war of any kind is a team game. And war against the virus is definitely a team game. And not just an American game, a global game. So as we come out of this most brutal winter of our lifetime and surge into the most important spring we've ever lived through, It's time to double down on that teamwork. It's time for America to emerge this spring stronger at the broken places. And it's time to elevate, support, and protect the brave leaders who are stepping up to be helpers. Every war won, every successful movement, every thriving country, every happy family has leaders who step up to meet the moment and elevate all of us with them. The statues to memorialize the heroes of our wars against the virus will come. Celebrations and reminders of the leaders who helped us win the war. Leaders who demonstrated leadership in this critical time. Leaders that will serve as inspiration for generations to come. For fights we haven't imagined yet. Leaders of the pandemic will forever be remembered. With names like Dr. Anthony Fauci. Officer Eugene Goodman, Dolly Parton, General Lloyd Austin, Captain Carnesha Mendoza, and names like many who have joined us on this show, leaders who have helped us through the darkest days and brought us to the light, leaders who brought us hope, leaders who brought us back, leaders like Dr. Paul Hazer and Jake Wood and Dr. Vin Gupta, and leaders like our guest in this episode. Wes Moore. I can see clearly now the rain is gone. The rain isn't completely gone yet, but Wes Moore is a leader who can take us there. The weather's getting warmer, Trump is out of the White House, the vaccine is coming, and Wes Moore is back. After a brutal winter, the hope of spring is blooming in ways big and small, and it's the perfect time to bring back one of our most popular and inspiring guests ever. If you don't already know, Wes Moore is an inspiring force for good and one of the most exciting and dynamic thought leaders in America. He's a best-selling author, a father of two, an activist, a combat veteran, and the CEO of the poverty-fighting juggernaut nonprofit Robinhood. Not the other Robinhood you've been reading about in the news. Wes Moore joined us way back in episode six for a Father's Day special. And he's back now to elevate your day and give you hope for the future. His best-selling book, The Other Wes Moore, describes his inspiring rise from inner-city Baltimore 
to a Rhodes Scholarship, and it's an international phenomenon that will soon be a movie produced by Oprah. He's an 82nd Airborne Combat Vet and a regular on Morning Joe. And he joined me via Zoom for an insightful and inspiring conversation about the pandemic after year one, how poverty, education, and mental health needs have skyrocketed, and what the transformative expansion of the child tax credit in the massive COVID relief bill could mean for you. Wes talks about his recent decision to step down as CEO of Robinhood, his work to demand justice for murdered Army First Lieutenant Richard Collins, changes at his alma mater, Johns Hopkins, the painful loss of a good friend to suicide, and his recent announcement that he's considering a run for governor of Maryland. Wes and I also dig into Coming to America 2, the blockbuster Meghan and Harry interview, and all that that reveals about race, class, and change in America. It's a fun and fast-moving conversation with me and another iconic, important, inspiring American that's shaping what our country is and what it will be in the future. It's the kind of conversation with a thought leader that's defined independent Americans for almost two years. Wes is a thought leader who many believe might one day be president. We're not Obama and Springsteen, but this is the perfect episode to help you through the final days of winter and launch you into an exciting, hopeful spring we've all been working and waiting for. Independent Americans are growing all across America, and they will lead us out of the winter into the spring, and into the future. And more and more of those independent Americans are answering the call to serve and rising to meet the moment. Some will run as Democrats. Some may run as Republicans. Unfortunately, for too many, it's still the smart path. But that's changing. And so is the look, tone, spirit, and energy of a new generation of political leaders, especially political leaders who are coming out of activist movements, in the spirit of the legendary John Lewis, leaders who have fought inequality, racism, and poverty, leaders who've been deep in the fight and are now ready to elevate their leadership and lead others. Our well-being, fighting poverty, fighting racism, fighting the pandemic, these should be the places we should be able to unite around find common ground and find common cause. And these are the places where we need independent Americans now more than anywhere else. There's a new normal in America, and it's hard and it's messy. We need leaders who understand that leadership's not always black and white. Leadership requires an understanding of the gray, and it requires people who can unite, not divide. True uniters are unfortunately rare in our politics right now. But that's changing too. And I think Joe Biden's leading that change at a time when we need it so badly. Uniters are the ones who will work not from the sides, but from the middle. Rather than trying to beat down or shove out the other side, they start in the center on a bullseye of what's right and grow outward. Those are the ones who can push us through this hard time lead us forward as a nation, and take us to higher places afterwards. They're not the partisans. They're not the professional politicians. They're not the blowhard pundits. They're not the summer soldiers or the sunshine patriots. It's the ones who have been in the trenches, fighting the hardest fights. Those are the winter soldiers. Those are the real leaders. Those are the most important independent Americans of all. 
the ones fighting poverty, fighting despair, fighting for the least fortunate among us, fighting for the elderly, and fighting for the children. Winning the war against the virus and against the hate and against the worst parts of our own past, that's the key to our future. And those fights will be led by new patriots. Our future as a nation depends on it. Now, more than ever, they and we must stay vigilant. They're the ones who can see clearly, often when others can't. These are the new leaders we can look up to, we can rally behind, and we can step up to support now. They're the winter soldiers who helped us all power through. They're the ones we can tell our kids to look up to. And they're the ones we'll need to be ready. When the spring is over, the summer of celebration passes, and the darkness of fall, and the potential of new variants, new attacks, and new pandemics come. But spring is almost here. A spring we need, a spring we've been waiting for, a spring we've been dying for, a spring we've all been working for, a spring we deserve, a spring filled with hardship, but also with hope. The hope that's filling the hearts of millions this week all across the country who are finally getting the vaccine. And next week, we'll be getting even more help. Welcome to a time of challenge and change, a time of crisis and opportunity. Welcome to a time of reckonings and reunions. We can see clearly now. The rain is gone, or almost gone. We can see all obstacles in our way. Here's that rainbow we've been praying for. It is going to be a bright, 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 sunshiny day. Welcome to a brighter day. Welcome to a brighter time. Welcome to almost spring 2021. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 105. Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country and around the world, spring is here. The vaccine is coming. Trump is gone. Things are looking up. And Wes Moore is returning to the program. I am very happy to bring back a returning champion, one of our original champions from one of the first 10 episodes the great and powerful Wes Moore returns. Hey, it's great to be with you, brother. I am so proud of you. I'm proud of everything you're building. And you're right. It was crazy. I woke up this morning and I swear, I think it was the first morning that I woke up for a, for a run and the sun was already starting to come up. And now it's at six o'clock tomorrow. I was like, oh my gosh, really? like, these are really, things are different. It's happening. It's happening. We had our mutual friend Darren Walker on a couple weeks ago and he said, hope is, is the oxygen of democracy. Yes. And that hope is flowing and pumping and I want to share it and spread it. And you, you're like a walking uh, super spreader of hope. 
and you have been your whole life and career. And that's why I'm so excited to have you back on right now. Um, see, I got dressed up for you. For folks who are watching on video, I actually wore a jacket for like maybe the first time in a year. And you got like, it look, you got a t-shirt on, man. It looks like a very nice t-shirt. It's not a $20 t-shirt, but that, nope. you have a, you have a t-shirt on. I do. But you know what though? Actually, this is dressing up and I'll yeah. explain. Okay. Um, and actually you talk about hope. This is this, this, this shirt epitomizes hope for me. So this shirt is actually part of the, uh, the, the Under Armour Devin Allen collection. For those who don't know, Devin Allen is a, an, an activist, a photographer. He's a, uh, he's a, uh, you know, an African-American photographer who now has two covers on Time Magazine. Um, one was during, uh, you know, both were, was during times of protest, but the first one was actually this really iconic shot of, of, of a person running with this whole phalanx of, of police officers, you know, behind him. With I know the shot, yeah. Rising in Baltimore, classic, classic shot. Um, and the thing I love about this is that the, that he's just a kid from Baltimore who is, I think Devin probably now is 30 years old, uh, but he's become this world renowned photographer from Baltimore. And now he has an entire, he's got a shoe line with Under Armour. He's got an entire clothing collection. And the beautiful thing about that for me is, you know, usually that thing is reserved for, you know, the basketball star or the football star. An activist got his own line. A photographer got his own line. And there's just something so beautiful about it. So every time when people say, all right, you have to dress up, for me, that means put on the Devin Allen collection. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm repping today. Well, thank you for getting dressed up. It, it looks very nice. It also no. is like, you know, that is a very nice shirt. Uh, the rock has a line at Under Armour now, right? Like that's one of your many involvements, uh, a lot to get into. Uh, the last time you joined us was June, 2019. We had just kicked off the show. It was father's day. We were in New York together at the Classic Car Club. You were, uh, you know, a couple years into Robin Hood. You were going back and forth between Baltimore and New York. A lot of Baltimore things we, we dug into. And there's a lot of Baltimore things I'd love to dig into now. But it's a year after the pandemic. You have been one of the helpers. You're on the front lines every day, making this country better, adding light to the heat. Um, tell folks, please, Wes, where are you? And how are you and how are the people around you one year into this pandemic? So I'm uh, I'm I'm here in Baltimore uh, and where we've been. We actually just passed the the uh, the the year commemoration for for closing our offices. We closed our offices on May 2nd last year. Um, so we closed pretty early and and we started noticing pretty early how damaging this was going to be. We had a couple of members of our team get sick, um, you know, pretty early. And, uh, and we started just seeing because, especially because New York really was the epicenter of all this that, uh, and I remember, I remember calling up Dawn, my wife, who adores you, Paul, and was just like, you know, I'm gonna have to close the office. And, and I said, I think I'm going to close the office for like three months. And I said it to her, like, that was a long period of time. I was like, three months. God, that's so crazy. And she was like, I think it's going to be longer than that. And we now just passed the year and our offices are still closed. Mm. And, you know, I, I, it's, it's hard to even, it's hard to even quantify how damaging this year has been for our communities. Um, and I say that because not that it is, not that it's difficult. I mean, like we have watched, we watched 11 years of job growth go away in 11 weeks, right? We watched the, the, the shuttering of industries, especially when you're talking about like the hospitality industry, hotels and restaurants, which were actually the industries 
that we're doing the, the, the that we're employing the population that we serve more than any other employment sector, right? You know, those who are low wage workers, people who are undocumented, uh, you know, people of color, et cetera, right? Um, so you saw how the quantifiable impacts of this hit really hard and show themselves in a variety of different ways. But it's also really difficult for me not to separate just how personally damaging this has been to watch friends, mm. watch our partners in the work, mm. watch the mental health challenges, watch how difficult it's been to have kids who are now in school. But like, for example, in Baltimore City, 61% of high school freshmen right now are chronically absent. Mm. Literally, we don't know where they are. 61% of Baltimore City high school freshmen are missing more than 30% of the school year. So, so, so while the, while the data is, 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 is incredibly troubling about how difficult this year has been, it's, it's just, it's the personal stories that for all of us that we know too well, um, that have just made this year, uh, a really, really hard and complicated one. I'm so glad you, you are, um, framing it that way because I think it's very important, especially for leaders like us that are in the public sphere, to be honest about how hard it's been and to be honest about how damaging it's been, recognizing that me, you, we've been lucky comparatively. But I got this feeling right now where everybody thinks the end of the war is coming, right? And maybe the war, maybe there'll be a formal ceasefire and we'll declare an end to the pandemic. And then there'll be these like little flare ups. It might be a variant. It might be an insurgency, right? If we use this war context. Mm-hmm. But people who've been to war know that the war doesn't end when the fighting stops. That's right. And then we're going to get into the trauma and the loss and the pain and the long tail of everything from mental health, you know, to financial ruin and recognizing that not everybody experiences war differently. Some people got out. Some people had to stay deep in, in the crosshair. So you're you're shaping all of that through your example and through your work. Um, you're also, you know, more and more a thought leader, you know, you're interpreting everything going on in the world. You're keeping yourself, uh, saying you got a beautiful family. I look to you as a mentor, uh, for, as a father, you've taught me a lot and Don's taught me a lot about parenting. Um, but I don't ask, I'm not going to ask you the drinking question anymore, but I am going to ask you some, some, some recent news questions. Uh, there is a lot of good stuff happening, including coming to America too happened. I don't know if I've been more excited about a movie in maybe in five years, then like maybe longer than, than coming to America too. Right. Like I accidentally played it for my son once. And my wife was like, do you realize what you just played for our five-year-old? But, uh, did you see it? Uh, Westmore, what did you think of coming to America too? I did see it. We actually watched it as a family and I thought it was fantastic. And I know all these, I know there's people out there who throw shade on, oh, it wasn't as good as the original, it wasn't good as the original. First of all, saying it wasn't good as good as the original is kind of like saying, you know, oh, it wasn't good as perfection. The original was perfection, I get it. But the second one was really good. I mean, like Eddie Murphy came with it. I thought the fact that he brought in all the characters in the cast from the last time was fantastic. I thought that that Wesley Snipes was freaking hilarious and was a great addition. And I and I have to tell you, I love the fact that I could actually watch it. You know, our our daughter's now nine, our son is now seven, and maybe there might be a couple few parts, but I love the part that the love the fact that we could watch it as a family and really enjoy it and 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 just laugh at all these you know at all these same parts. So I thought it was great, man, and and well worth the wait. He did a great job with it. I'm 
a hundred percent with you. It's great. I ended it and I looked at Lauren and I said, that was great. Yeah. That was just great. Right. And they, they even cleaned some things up. Like, you know, the bath scene is a little bit cleaned up, right? Like they, they, they knew they were going to have a bigger audience on this one, but you know, the, all the cameos are amazing. Right. Like when, and Vogue comes out, right? And Dikembe Mutombo with the no, and no, no. Chocolate. Like, <laughs> sexual chocolate came back? All what? of them, right? And the music, the John Legend song at the end. Like, uh, yeah. they just, like, you know, it was so cool because they had so much time and it was such an iconic and important groundbreaking film, right? Like, I don't, w- w- was Louis Anderson like the only white guy in the first one? One of the only white guys in the first one? They bring him back. But it, now it has so much more um gravity i think right and and the time it's coming into you know everything is changing so fast and in many i don't want to dismiss it as just entertainment like that was an important important cultural touch point um and it was just really fun right like and and you know and and there there were some really and i don't want to ruin it for people who have who have not seen it yet i really urge you to go see it um but even when you think about the themes that they were drawing around it and the things that were in some cases subtle and in some cases not so subtle about how we think about power in our society, who has power and who doesn't, and how we think about transfers of power and what it means to make our society better oftentimes means looking in different places for people who should assume that mm-hmm. power. So again, I'm not trying to ruin it no. for who haven't seen it, but, um, but you'll, you'll see what I mean when you see the movie. But I thought he did a beautiful job of, of kind of like sticking the landing when it comes to actually forcing our society to ask questions about power and autonomy and authority. It was it was really well done. I mean, gender equality, race, exactly. you know, socioeconomic status, international relations, exactly. combat, like all of it is packed into coming to America in a really artful and I think important way. And it's happening in a context where, you know, Black Panther was was so game changing, right? Like the idea that when when I was in my son's in kindergarten, you know, riders in kindergarten, like the idea that white kids want to be Black Panther, yes, right? Like there was no, you know, were there any black superheroes that we could be when we were kids that we knew? I mean, not that you could really think of, unless you were like a really big Marvel geek, right? But now kids are fighting over who's going to be Black Panther, right? And the 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 impact of that is so tremendous. Um, and I thought about the, how the women of, of, of the family are empowered, right? And they're these like kick-ass karate masters, right? But so all of that is happening on another really uh, complicated, charged, global experience, which is the Meghan and Harry interview. You've been a leader on race. And part of me was like, you know what? I'm not going to watch this. I'm going to watch The Expanse again, by the way, which has a Baltimore connection. If you're not into the expanse, you will find out there is a Baltimore connection. They go deep into Baltimore in season five, 200 years into the future. So if you haven't seen that, wow. oh, oh yes. Oh yes, Wes. I'm glad I gave you that one. Expanse fans know what I'm, what I'm talking about. But I watched the expanse and I was like, you know what? I have to watch this because it seems to be really unleashing and un- unpacking a conversation around race in America and in the world. So, you know, I don't know if you've met Prince Harry. He's he's done a lot of work in the U.S. in philanthropy and especially in the veterans community. A lot of folks don't realize he's a tested combat vet. Um, but what, what are your takeaways? You're a thought leader in America, especially on issues of race and class and all the other stuff that's impacted there. What are your takeaways from that interview? You know, I um, well, you know, for, I, I have had a chance to meet, uh, to meet Prince Harry and then uh, 
and, you know, and the first of all, I, I thought that, you know, Oprah just did an absolutely magnificent job with that interview, as she always does. Um, because, you know, she just has, she has a, a remarkable ability just to pull truth out in a way that is just uh, so, so digestible to everybody. Mm. But I thought the interview was really, um, was really powerful, not just because of the, the, the bombshell revelations that everybody's talking about, but I, I thought that it was what was behind those revelations that were really hard hitting and lasting. And, and frankly, I think there is this idea of a racial tension that had to be understood and not even just within, you know, Buckingham Palace or within the royal family, right? It is this idea of a tension that seeps and sits within our society at, at large that we still haven't fully wrestled with. And, you know, and, and, and I was thinking about it, Paul, where, uh, you know, about four months ago, there was a new, uh, there was a, 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 Johns Hopkins actually did a, did a, did a, did a research within its own university history. And there was always this lasting, uh, understanding that Johns Hopkins, the founder of Johns Hopkins, uh, who the university is named after, um, was this great abolitionist, right? That was a narrative that we all got about Johns Hopkins, who he was, what he contributed. And John, you were a student there, you played football there, you're on the board there, you grew right. up nearby, right? You, you, your, right. your story of Hopkins is, is legendary now. You're it one is. of their, their, most, their most celebrated yeah. graduates. That's right. And, and legendary and complicated when right. it comes to its relationship with the history of, with Baltimore City. But we always had this as an understanding that this was this history. And, and a few months ago, after Hopkins did its own research, it realized that that story that they were telling about Johns Hopkins was not complete. And that Johns Hopkins was actually a slave owner as well. And what was fascinating was it really, it, it forced me to actually take a moment and think to myself, all right, I, whether it was the school I attended as my undergraduate institution, Johns Hopkins, whether it was the military bases that I was trained at, places like Fort Banning and Fort Bragg. I mean, Fort Bragg is, is named after Braxton Bragg, I mean, a Confederate general. And not a very good general at that, right? <laughs> a traitor, a loser, but we're named for Bragg after him. Um, I went to Oxford University on a Rhodes Scholarship named after Cecil Rhodes, who was one of the most virulent racists. Uh, and, you know, literally where, you know, in, in this quest and to the point that he became the wealthiest man in the world at the time, um, you know, was doing it knowing that there were just thousands of bodies, black bodies that were lost uh, in the quest for in these, in, in these searchings in these diamond mines. And I thought to myself, well, I was like, well, every single place that helped to train me were either founded or named after people who despised me. And that, the reality of that tension, the reality of, 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 of someone being asked about what it means that asking a question about how their child will look will be interpreted, how that will be interpreted, how that will have ramifications and implications on things. There is a, there's a larger and a deeper tension that I think that interview highlighted that we as a large society have got to have the maturity and the courage to wrestle with. 
understanding that our history does matter and, 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 and an examination of that history, an examination of how we got here, an examination of why those things still exist, about why in 2020 or 2019, those conversations were being had with Prince Harry about you know, what his child would look like. In, in, in Buckingham Palace, we have to be able to delve into that, not just because, not to play, you know, uh, you know, I told you so, or gotcha, or anything along those lines. But if we are planning on moving forward as a collective society, if we're planning on doing this in a way that is honoring of all of our humanity, then we can't be afraid of the hard. Mm. We can't be afraid of the suck. We can't be afraid of the complicated. And that's one of the things I really liked about that, that, that interview was once again, it gave our world a chance to have a conversation with the complicated. And instead of shying away and turning our eyes away, knowing that if we can do this, that we will be better because of it. Mm. Mm. And it's, you know, it, it takes leadership to blow things up that need blowing up. Right. And, and, you know, I can't imagine how many conversations you've been in in places like Oxford or Hopkins, but now we've got, you know, Harry and Megan that are blowing up what in many, you know, people forget from afar was it was at times a very oppressive racist regime. Right. I mean, and, and you know, it's not it's not just black people. I mean, the, the Irish aren't crazy about the monarchy either. Right. I mean, there's plenty of elements of this um, that that are really important to unpack. But a lot of systems are being blown up right now and a lot of resets are happening. And as we have this conversation this week, the House and Senate will pass Biden's so far signature piece of legislation, the coronavirus, uh, you know, uh, emergency supplemental. Um, that is you know, one of the biggest bills, if not the biggest bill in, in, in recent American history. Uh, there's a really important point of this that you've been advocating very strongly on that I think is underreported, which is uh, the, the child tax credit. Right. Um, can you explain to folks who maybe don't appreciate this? What is the tax credit, the child tax credit? And why is it so important for everything, not just for poor kids, not just for poor people, not just for kids? Why is this such an important inflection point for everything? I'd say, and, and for, for, for those who are just listening, um, I'd say I'm smiling from ear to ear uh, as you ask this question, Paul. I mean, we have been pushing for a long time on this adjustment to the child tax credit. And the fact that this is now getting ready to go and become law. If you, if you would have said to me a year and a half ago or two years ago saying, you know, we can make adjustments on the child tax credit, and I'll, I'll explain in a second what exactly that means. I, I would have said, listen, in, in, my, in my greatest hopes, it's a long shot, right? What the child tax credit is, the child tax credit is essentially, it's a, it's a, it's a tax credit that goes to any parent within our society. And it's, it was intended to be a poverty fighting tax credit, right? Something for families so that they can have a little bit of extra money if they have children and to be able to, for them to use it for, you know, use it for whatever it is they choose to use for, for tutoring for their kids, for to take their kids out for pizza or maybe a movie for, for, for maybe to taking them to, uh, you know, giving them, uh, you know, 
uh, coaching lessons or whatever it is, but it's just a little bit of extra money. Just or, or diapers or daycare or food, right? Anything, right? But just taking a little bit of extra pressure, particularly off of those who are living in, in poverty and those who are in really complicated circumstances. And when we say people living in poverty, oftentimes we have to be clear that 24% of people who lost their jobs due to COVID-19 were people who were living in poverty before COVID-19, i.e. the working poor. Right, people who were working jobs and in some cases multiple jobs and still living below the poverty line. Right, so we created this child tax credit as a way of being able to provide a little bit of breathing room to families who are some of the most under-resourced families in our country. But it had flaws. One of the big flaws that it had was that you there was an earning that a person had to have in order for them to qualify for the child tax credit. So, for example. Anywhere between 24 and 27 million children, children, every single year did not qualify for the child tax credit because their family was too deep in poverty. And that goes back to what we're saying, too, when you're talking about the people who are oftentimes the working poor, you know, the ones who are changing bedsheets and serving coffee, picking up trash. Right, people who we see and interact with every single day, and we have no idea the type of pressure that they are facing every day to support their families. And so what the adjustment to the child tax credit does, what this bill does, is essentially makes that the child tax credit fully refundable. So it does it, so we've eliminated the idea of an earning. And what we're then pushing for is now to make it permanent. What that is going to do is this for those 24 to 27 million children, you now qualify in the stroke of a pen poll. We are going to cut child poverty by half yep. in the stroke of a pen. So for you, if, if you have a child under the age of six, you now have a $3,600 child tax credit every single year that gets paid monthly, but every single year you get a $3,600 tax credit. If your child is, is over the age of six, that is a, is a, is a $3,000 credit. But that is money for you to be able to support your child and support your family in ways that you know that your family and your child needs in that moment. And so this is the, this is the most powerful and expansive, not just poverty fighting mechanism that we have passed now in, 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 in four decades, but it's the most brilliant and the most innovative and the most assertive way of policy that we have ever put in place that is actually fundamentally supporting our children. And I think about it in context for, you know, even our work in Robin. You know, I run one of the largest poverty fighting organizations in this country. And for when you look at over the past 32 years of Robin Hood's existence, that we have allocated north of $3 billion into the poverty fight. What this bill will do, what this adjustment to the child tax credit will do, is it will take 32 years of what we have put into the poverty fight all combined, and that will be eclipsed in the stroke of a pen. Mm. That's how important this bill. How much? How much, Wes? Do you know how much is it? If you had to total it all together, it's got to be you know it's tens of billions. I don't know, hundreds of billions, right? And so I think you and I have talked over the years and worked together on issues and under uh, underscored the importance of advocacy. Because all the hedge fund guys in New York can fund all the soup kitchens in the world. But if you don't change policy, you're not moving the needle, right? Sure. We did this together with the GI Bill and with other, right? You know, government has a scale that is, that is unprecedented, right? And so now, you know, this massive uh, in inflection point that'll probably change poverty more than since Johnson was president, right? 
Um, half the kids will, will hopefully be out of poverty. And it's coming at a crisis time, right? May, you know, crisis presents opportunity. And maybe that presents an opportunity for people to come together on this and get it through. I was listening to Charlie Kirk, the right wing talk show host, and he was supporting this because he said, you know what, it's going to support families and I want people to have more kids and we have a, you know, a, a population growth problem. So even conservatives are, are supporting this and it's going to happen, right? And it's going to provide reinforcements down to the community. And I think it's coming at a critical time because you and I are also on the front lines of many of the issues that are the longer tails of the pandemic to include mental health, right? You have been out in front. I have been out in front. We talked about our service and the organizations we work with, but we're starting to see the lights blink. I mean, they're long since blinking, right? But, um, you know, COVID, the economy, the stress, the isolation, the mental health toll is tremendous. And you and I continue to lose friends very close to us. And, and I appreciate you joining me now because I know you're going through a hard time. You just lost someone close to you. Can you talk about what you see coming, what you think people need to know, and as much as you're comfortable sharing about, you know, what's been going on? Yeah. The, um, uh, and, and first, I, I got to tell you, Paul, I mean, you have, you have led on this issue, not, not just for as long as I've known you, which is, you know, in 15, 20 years, but even before that. Uh, you have been you have been pushing on the importance of policy and advocacy. You've been pushing on the importance of understanding mental health, because you know you, uh, like so many of us, you know we continue to see these daily reminders of, of of that just because a person says they're okay does not mean they're okay. And uh, and just recently uh, we lost um, uh, another another brother of ours, uh, a veteran, uh, First Sergeant Boyd McDaniel's. Um, and you know the, the the challenges that um the challenges that families are facing. And I remember I was speaking to his his, his brother, who was a dear friend, when I first heard the news, and uh, and I was dreading the reasons why. And um and he just sent me a note back, and he just sent me a text back, and just said, uh, and it just simply said, you know, mental health is real. Mm. And I knew exactly what I knew exactly what he was talking about. I knew exactly what happened. Mm. Um, we have got to, we cannot overstate the psychological, the mental health damage that not just that this period has caused, but it's that this period has compounded. Mm. It's that we've had these challenges and these issues for a very, very, very long period of time. Um, we, we, we know it, we see it. And then when we add on this additional stress, the additional burden of the of, of employment instability, wage instability, of families going through other additional traumas, of not being able to get together as friends and family and just a hug. Mm-hmm. Oh, I haven't, you know, my my mom and my grandmother, you know, they live, they're here in Maryland. They live 20 minutes away from me. Um, I haven't given them a legit hug year we cannot underestimate the type of damage this is doing and to your point how long this tale is now i think what also does become really important in all of this is it is both about are we making sure that we're checking up on people it is about how we're making sure that we're you know making sure folks are okay or are we making sure that we're being extra diligent about connecting but it is also about how are we going to make sure that our policies match the problems? Mm. 
How are we making sure that the funding that is needed to be able to do everything from mental health screening to mental health supports actually match the enormity and the scope of the challenge that we're now facing? And this really becomes our larger societal our larger societal test is where we can talk about the basics of infrastructure and all these other elements, but the mental health damage that we continue to see. And, and I'm so tired of getting phone calls and text messages from friends. Yep. I'm so tired of it, Yep. but it means we're going to have to be incredibly diligent and stubborn about actually getting at both root causes and the actual hurt of now, because there is a hurt of now that is taking place within our communities. Thank you for sharing that, especially, you know, sharing the the story of First Sergeant Daniels. Um, you know, you and I are in this world where, you know, we're constantly emailing and texting and it's like every day we got another one. We got another one. We got another one. It's like the hashtag, you know, our friends are dying and they're dying all around us have been 17 veterans a day. The estimates are it's many other people. You know, the policy idea that I hope starts to take hold is I feel like this last Biden bill, this new Biden bill is, is the bill we need to end the war, right? And it reminds me of like the last war supplemental in the Middle East, mm. and they forgot to fund the VA afterward, right? So what we're going to need, in my view, is a massive policy push that's going to look like a reconstruction bill, right, that deals with the mental health toll as an example, right? Maybe just the mental health toll, but recognizing our people are wounded, after combat, our people are hurting. It doesn't go away because we open all the restaurants and the schools and that damage is forever. And we're going to need to invest in that, maybe even at a higher level than we did in this bill. So I'm, gonna, I'm throwing that idea out in the universe. I know you'll support it. Um, we have we have and, a short. And, and can I say one more thing, too? And be intentional about it. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Be intentional about the fact that, you know, let's not dance around the language. Right. Right. We are going to put X funding for mental health. Right. Right. Don't dance around this. Call yeah. it what it is. It's 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 that or people die. That's that's it. Right. Like, like you can't keep talking about. And I and I've been critical of 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 all the VA secretaries. I think that Secretary McDonough has been doing some good things out of the gate. You know, I don't think he was the right choice, but I'm going to support him now. You know, his answer on suicide in his first press conference sounded like everybody else's answer. Like we are not pulling the, the 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 alarm like this is not all hands on deck we are not recognizing how many people are dying so i'm going to keep banging on that drum i know you will as well related and we don't have a lot of time left uh, um related um there are a lot of folks um that are lost uh that are prone to extremism you have been on the front lines of of combating extremism white nationalism uh institutionalized racism um you and i were you connected me with with the family of uh lieutenant richard collins who was tragically murdered in 2017 um in maryland uh that was it was past a warning sign right folks say well where were the warning signs did you not see that Lieutenant Collins was murdered on the streets and we talked about it and he couldn't be buried properly by his family. Now his murderer has been sentenced to prison, life in prison, not a hate crime, I believe, right? Um, but that was a warning. So let me ask you to unpack the all of it. You, you're going to be on the front lines fighting this domestic threat, trying to get people not to convert to extremism. What? How do you want to break down where we are right now in relation to that immediate national security, domestic, you know, existential threat. Yeah. You know, and um, 
And, and, and I'll, 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 t- I'll take a moment both to give you a shout out for all your leadership and what happened with Lieutenant Collins. But I, I think I just want to give a context to, 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 the, to the audience about who this young man was. Um, he was a third generation soldier. Um, his grandfather was also in the army. And in fact, his grandfather, uh, after serving overseas, uh, was killed by, uh, by a white supremacist. When he came home and was uh, when he when he came home from deployment, his father then served in the military, uh, and his father, uh, who he and his and his wife Dawn have become you know have become close friends, talks about his pride when when Richie said that he wanted to join the army and join RTC. He goes through RTC. He um you know for 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 those who are in the service, there's a there's a there's almost like a day or two delay between when you get commissioned and when you actually graduate. Um, it's like, you know, kind of, it's a quirky thing that for all of us who've done it, we don't think about, but it matters in this case because he was commissioned later on that night. He went out to go celebrate with friends. He was a student at Louis State University, HBCU in in Maryland. Um, and he was at the University of Maryland College Park and someone came up to him and stabbed him in the chest and he died. And because he was commissioned, but wasn't yet, wasn't yet a graduate because he didn't, you know, officially graduate from Bowie State because he had that, that distance. Um, there were complications as to how exactly he would be recognized in the military, covering the funeral. Um, there were questions, even as this case went to trial about, well, even though this person had a whole series and slew of uh, of things on on their website and uh, you know white supremacy writings and so on and so forth, but was this really a hate crime? Because you know you know what he said to Richie was step left, and Richie said I'm sorry, and then when he said I'm not stepping left, guy told him move to the left, and he said I'm not moving left, he stabbed him in the chest. So there were actually there were now bills that have been passed, and uh, where even though he was not convicted of, of a hate crime, we now have bills that were that were passed, uh, you know, for example, called the Richard Collins Act, uh, which allows prosecutors to pursue hate crime charges for acts motivated in part by hate. Right. This is these are things. And one of the reasons that I'm so blessed by the Collins family is this is a family who epitomizes this idea of turning pain into purpose. Right. They have never stopped fighting to protect not just the legacy of Richie, but to protect the fact that this should never have to happen again to any family, like what happened to their son. And I think that, and I think one thing we're seeing right now is, you know, we are, are, are hitting this point in our, in our nation where there is so much distrust, frustration, hatred, history, that is now turning into almost this very toxic cocktail uh, that is showing itself in really ugly ways, like what we saw with Lieutenant Collins, like what we saw on January 6th. And I think this is actually an important moment for our nation to be able to take a real beat, to be able to take a pause and breathe, Mm. and to really think about what kind of country are we trying to be? Are we trying to be a country where we will repeatedly be at each other's throats? Are we going to be a country that is going to look at our, at our, at our, at our history and to be able to understand that understanding that process is important for us to be able to get to the process of healing? 
understanding that 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 this nation's history has been uneven, that this nation's history has been violent, that this nation's history has been unequal. But we also understand this, that we have had this moral arc that Dr. King talked about, the moral arc of uh, that bends towards justice. But at every single step, it bends towards justice, not because of inevitability. It bends towards justice because there are people who are pulling it that way. Mm. And that's the thing that we have to consistently focus on and think about how, how do we take that history? How do we take that, that uh, and take this moment to be able to build not just a new, but build something in many ways that's just completely reimagined? So thank you for sharing that, for leading on it. You know, huge uh, thanks and and gratitude to the Collins family, to you, to Allison Jaslow, so many other people that pushed this forward. Right, people came out in many ways, but the fight does not end. That 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 arc is bent because of Richie Collins, because of the Collins family, because of leadership, because of you. Um, this is a moment for leadership. Uh, anyone who's listened to you has been inspired by you. I asked you and Willie Geist to run for anything. Uh, you know two years ago on this show. Okay. I hope that maybe Willie will run for mayor because that might be still open if Andrew Yang doesn't win. Uh, I think a lot of folks would like to see you run for governor of New York. There's a lot of controversy happening there around Governor Cuomo. Um, And you have publicly said you are exploring running for governor in Maryland. I have never seen a more universally positive, excited reaction from people than when you said you might run. Um, I know you you, you heard that. Um, you know, people telling me, where can I sign up? How can I move to Maryland? Uh, you know, how far is Baltimore from where I live? People want you to run, uh, and you're exploring it. Uh, you know, number one, do you want to make any news here today? Uh, and number two, um, this is independent Americans. Uh, are you at all considering running as an independent? Uh, so I am, uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm a very, very proud Marylander, born down here, raised down here, uh, live down here now. Um, and, and I am seriously exploring, uh, looking at the, at the, at the governor's race in Maryland. And, you know, and it's, and it's one of these things, Paul, where, you know, I, I think for all of us, we consistently pressure test ourselves of, of how we can best be of service in certain moments. Um, where, where I, I think about so many of the issues that have been my life's issues. Um, they're on the ballot. Every single one of the issues that we have been working on and fighting on, that many of we've been working on together, they are on the ballot. And so when I think about what is going to be the direction of my state, what is going to be the direction of the Democratic Party, what is going to be the direction of all of these elements uh, of how we think about this, and, and knowing that we actually can be bold, and that's okay that we can actually get some important work done and it's urgent that we actually try to get it done. And so uh, I, I really am very seriously, uh, you know, considering this. I'm very seriously exploring this and I'm very seriously, uh, you know, just pushing on this idea of asking myself, um, is, is, is this the way that I can best be useful and best be of service in this moment? Uh, and it's been, it's been a, it's been a powerful process, and particularly when I think about you know where where we are as, a, as an organization with Robinhood, I'm so proud of what this organization has accomplished in, in you know in, in my four and a half years here. The organization has never been in a stronger place, and I'm proud of that. I'm proud of the team that we built. I'm proud of what we gotten done, uh, and I really am just thinking through now. It's like you know, so how how do we think about the next battles 
that uh, that I'm that I want to take on. Well, we need selfless leaders leading those battles. And I think that your examination and consideration of this process is not just a test for you, it's a test for us. Like this is an example. I, I said, I think when I had you on the first time, uh, more in 24. Uh, so maybe it's going to be more in 22, but we need to encourage you to run. We need to create a space where you can run. We need, whether it's campaign finance reform or people from different parties coming together or volunteers willing to step up, you know, there, there is this wave of leaders like you and many people we know who haven't run over the last 10, 15 years, who we need to run, who we need to draft. And, you know, you're a guy, I don't care what party you run from, you're going to have my support and you're going to have people from, from a lot of backgrounds supporting you. And I think those are the kind of transformative leaders we need. So um, I'm, this is my challenge to everyone is like, we need to get Wes Moore to continue to rise. You, you always sign your emails at Elevate and you're, you're, the, you're, you're such an inspiring leader because you pull people up with you whether it's the folks at Robin Hood, your team, the Collins, you know, everyone, this is the kind of leader we need for this moment um, because shit's hard and it's going to be hard for a while. And we need leaders with courage and who can bring people together and who can bring in artists and Oprah and Under Armour and philanthropy and all this shit together. So, you know, I'm, I am always, you know, one of your biggest fans, but I think it's also not about you. It's about what you represent. And, and and we need this generation of leaders like you now more than ever because the fight ain't over. The fight's in many ways just getting started. And the rebuilding, you know, winning the fight may may actually be easier than rebuilding after the fight. And to that right? you're you're one hundred percent right. And listen, we win with coalitions. Yeah. Period. We win with coalitions. We will lose with divisions. We have to be able to build a build a strong coalition that cares deeply about protecting our future in a way that's going to protect everybody. If America's uh, a team game and you're, you know, you're a hell of a quarterback. I'll be your right, your left tackle. And I think there's a lot of people who want to be your left tackle over the next couple of years and who, who are down for whatever. Um, I promised Brian, the great Brian Jones that I'd, that I'd let you out of here in time for a hard stop. I want to present you gifts. Okay, you're going to get, we're still doing peeps. So Easter's. Oh, I love it. <laughs> we have new independent Americans gear coming. It should be up on the website this week or next. You're going to get some of that. Beautiful. Um, not made by Under Armour, but made by Oscar Mike. <laughs> Under Armour, you should, you know, acquire uh, Oscar Mike for a billion dollars. Uh, and some Uncle Nearest whiskey from our friend Jeffrey Wright. And Uncle Nearest, I love that stuff. They are great. See, they are great supporters of the show. I'm going to send you They're some. Awesome. And I will ask you to end uh, the final question that continues to divide, to divide Americans. We, we unite people, we bring light, but not heat. But there's one question that has torn America apart in Westmore. This is a tough one. If you're going to be a politician, you're going to have to answer tough questions. You, right. you, can't, you can't pick a neutral ground or punt on this one. Westmore, pancakes or waffles? Ah, can we pancakes? Pancakes. Why? Pancakes. So, 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 here, so here's why. Um, I think waffles are almost too cute, right? Like waffles, it's perfectly symmetrical. You know, it's the little pockets for the syrup. It's, they're almost too cute. Pancakes are messy. They are, they are complex because, you know, waffles are very much like this is the size of your waffle. Pancakes, if I have three waffles, I will have three completely different size pancakes. They will be all over the place. And I love that. 
I love it because we're messy. We are messy as a people. And that's okay because we're freaking delicious. So pancakes all day long. Best answer ever. I hope if you're governor, you maybe have pancake Sunday with Wes. That would be a great family day. We could make a syrup out of Uncle Nearest. We could all hang out and uh, and watch uh, the expanse. Pancakes. Interesting. What's that? Oh, I like that. I said Uncle Nearest pancakes. I like that idea. Yeah, they should give us a cut of that. Um, but <laughs> but uh, I am infinitely grateful for your leadership, for your friendship, for your support, for Righteous Media, for me, my family, just for all that you do. I love you. Um, I'm grateful that our country has a, a leader like you. Baltimore is lucky to have you. Um, you know, if it was a draft, I wish New York could draft you and get you to run for governor of, 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 of New York. But Maryland's going to be lucky to have you. America's lucky to have you. Uh, your family is a great inspiration as well. Um, and next time we can go deeper on parenting and all the lessons you show me there. But you are, you're what this country is all about, my friend. And I'm grateful for your leadership. I'm excited for what's next. I promised people we bring hope. So the hope is also a to be continued. Wes Moore will be back. Follow him. He is inspiring. He's incredible. Uh, and he is definitely staying vigilant. Thank you, my friend, for all that you do and for joining us. You're the best, brother. Bless you, man. Thank you. Pancakes for everybody. <laughs> Hope is the oxygen of democracy. I'm going to keep using that. I'm going to use it constantly, especially right now. As the sapling of the American recovery continues to grow this spring, and as our democracy continues to need that oxygen more and more by the day, but that hope is more contagious even than the virus. We can all be like Wes, super spreaders of hope. So spread it wherever you can, whether it's news about where to get the vaccine or helping older folks figure out how they can get their stimulus checks. Keep spreading the hope. Keep the oxygen of our democracy flowing. Pass it on to others. Hope is the air we need, so we got to keep breathing. That air keeps our democracy growing, and it keeps plants growing, especially warm air. So breathe. Breathe in deep and soak up that sunshine. If it's not where you are, I promise, it's coming. So let's breathe. Ready? There we go. Especially in these final few days of winter when many are worn out, keep breathing in that oxygen and that hope and encourage others to do the same. Like those grandparents everywhere and like Wes Moore. Be a helper. Spread the light, the hope, and the good information. Share information about the new bill and the checks on the way. Share good information. It's how we fight misinformation and conspiracy theories and extremists and enemies of the future. And that's how we fight the virus. We can all be helpers, like all those grandparents, and just like Mr. Rogers told us. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines, because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. The helpers are out there, so look for them. Last episode, we talked about Dolly Parton. Now, there's another high-profile person who also got the shot and told people about it. Those other patients also, you see, should uh, take, you see, this injection uh, uh, for greater benefit 
So this is very important. Uh, so I took that. So I want to share more people should have courage to take this injection. That's His Holiness the Dalai Lama, who got his first dose of the vaccine at Zonal Hospital in India. The Dalai Lama is stepping up and spreading the hope. Have courage. Be like the Dalai Lama and like Dolly Parton and like my mom and so many others. And Dolly Parton had that great line. Don't be such a chicken squat. Get the shot. Be a helper. Like Dolly Parton and like the Dalai Lama, don't be such a chicken squat. Get the shot. It's a way to be a helper. And thanks to all the helpers that made this episode possible, especially Wes Moore. Follow him on Twitter and get his books. The other Wes Moore, The Work, Five Days. He's got a number of books that are awesome. And if you join Independent Americans on Patreon, I'll give a copy of Wes's book to the first three people who do. But watch for Wes on MSNBC. Watch for his movie coming out from Oprah. And if he declares for governor of Maryland, help him. Help him help others. And we can all go to the governor's mansion and have some pancakes. My thanks also to Brian Jones on his team and everybody at Robin Hood, and especially his wife, Dawn, and their two spectacular kids, and his wife, Mrs. Moore, and everyone around him. Independent Americans are the future, and Wes Moore is another example of that future. He's a true helper. And thanks, of course, to the helpers on the Righteous Media team, Mighty Mercy Rich, creative Chris Rosenthal, brilliant Bill Schultz. And if you like this episode, go to the Apple Podcast Store and give us five stars. Help this tree continue to grow. You can subscribe for free and share. And go to independentamericans.us. There are links to all our social media platforms and to our Patreon community. And we have merch. We have new Independent Americans merch, and it is rolling out this spring. It's hot. It's ready. Go to independentamericans.us and see the first item we have. It's a very badass camping mug, kind of like a coffee mug, but built for our times. Perfect for the spring or the winter or your whiskey or your toast to getting the vaccine or while you're watching March Madness, which is also coming. But you can get the Independent Americans camping mug at independentamericans.us. And we got more merch to come. So look for that. You can put it in your Easter basket. And it's a great way to spend your new stimulus check and support a veteran-owned business. They're all at independentamericans.us. You can also see video of this conversation with Wes Moore. You can see the T-shirt he talks about. You can see inside his home library. And you can see over 100 episodes with leaders ranging from Chuck D to Chuck Hagel, from Sarah Jessica Parker to Megan McCain, from Stephen Colbert to Mayor Pete Buttigieg, all linked at independentamericans.us or on the Righteous Media YouTube page. My thanks also to Stephanie Rule on MSNBC. She had me on her show last week to talk about the pandemic one year later. You can find that also linked at independentamericans.us or on our YouTube page. And you can find my conversation with Stephanie Rule from one year ago this week. It was the second to last interview I had in person before the pandemic hit. It was episode 39. It was Inside 30 Rock. I brought margaritas. And it was definitely one of our most fun episodes ever. And speaking of fun, folks continue to be divided nationwide, just like they are on pancakes versus waffles. 
Waffles had a run on this show for a few weeks, but Wes is bringing back pancakes strong with a great argument. So what do you think? Go to our website. Go to independentamericans.us and you can vote. Pancakes or waffles? Sound off on this important issue that's dividing Americans. Americans may be more divided than ever, especially on pancakes versus waffles, but Independent Americans is adding light to contrast all the heat that you see in other political shows. Every episode continues to bring the Righteous Media Five Eyes, independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. So if you're among the 40% of Americans who are independent, welcome. If you're a Republican or a Democrat who's not a diehard partisan, welcome. If you're a concerned American who just cares about the future of your country, welcome. This is your show and all are welcome. We invite you to join us and be a part of the solution. Also want to invite you to be a part of our exclusive Independent Americans Patreon community. For just five bucks, you get access to our events, our guests, merch discount, and exclusive content. My thanks to all those folks, and especially our newest ones, including my wife. My wife just became a patron. Thank you, honey. I appreciate that. I didn't know it until I looked at the list today, so thank you. But you can join my wife and that vigilant community if you look for Independent Americans on Patreon or go to independentamericans.us. You can be a part of what we're building, and you can join us for events like the one we did last week. We had a special cocktail hour for Patreon members only last Friday night. It was awesome. My mom was there. She was our special guest. Many of you were there. If you're a Patreon member and you missed it, we have posted the video. And we're going to try to do these happy hours monthly going forward. They're fun, and I hope they bring hope and connection. So join that Patreon community and stay tuned. Thanks to all of you who are already part of the vigilant, the very vigilant, and the most vigilant. I will see you again next month. And maybe my wife will join us. And as always, my biggest thanks to my wife and my two little boys. If you've been listening to this show for a while, you know that this time last year, after hunkering down for a bit in New York City at the epicenter of the pandemic, I pulled the cord and headed for the mountains. My wife, my boys, and I found a small place in an undisclosed location near some friends in the mountains of upstate New York. Yes, some of you may be surprised to know that there are mountains in New York. Gorgeous mountains and streams and rivers and animals and all that, but really amazing mountains. And I've always had a really deep connection to the mountains. And this was the right move for our family, especially at that time, and especially for our boys. We don't have a mansion on the beach, and this house we're in is far from palatial, but it's in a valley with mountains all around. And it's a place with trees and birds and coyotes and nice people. And we're not that far from the city, and we still go back. But we got here last year before the snow was melting. And it was where we decided to set up camp and ride things out. In the fight against the virus over the last year, we all made the calls that we thought were right. For ourselves and for our loved ones. Some calls were right, some were wrong. But heading into the mountains is almost never a bad call. Whether it's for a day for a year, or for forever. And now that we've been through all this, it's the place I'll always be deeply connected to. And now, here in the mountains, the snow is finally melting again. And after day after day of temperatures in the teens and feeling like we were living in a snow globe for a while, it's finally starting to thaw. The farm across the street has six baby goats 
and people at my son's school are feeling optimistic. Today, they led a school project outside to turn tree sap into syrup. It's a public school, and folks up here aren't rich. It's a lot of working people and some refugees from the city, but people who look out for each other. And that's especially been the case in the last year. During this cold winter, I haven't heard birds much. But last week, I started to hear the birds again. And I can hear them outside right now. I also realized I haven't heard many planes. This is also a place where commercial planes used to fly overhead pretty often. And for the last year, you didn't hear any. And in the last few weeks, I'm hearing them again. The mountains are thawing out. So are the cities. I don't know where we'll end up in the future, but I'm grateful to have had the mountains for this last year. And for all the amazing people around us who have helped keep my kids and our in-laws and other high-risk people around us safe here in the mountains. Oh, play me some mountain music like Grandma and Grandpa used to play. America is an amazing place. Our mountains are amazing. Our rivers are amazing. Our oceans are amazing. Our cities are amazing. And they're all things that we all probably appreciate a lot more today than we did a year ago. We commemorate anniversaries to celebrate, but also so we don't forget. So one year after the pandemic, let's celebrate that we survived. Let's mourn those that we've lost Let's commit to the future, but let's never forget. The mountains are always here, and the spirit of the mountains is always here. It represents a truth, a clarity, a perspective, and a hope. A hope that can help us through the setbacks ahead, and a hope to help us keep looking up. The best part of climbing a mountain is always taking the time to stop, reflect, and look back. Hope is the oxygen for our democracy, but also for life. And hope is coming more than any other time in the last year. And we got to pour it on. We got to keep looking out for each other, especially if you didn't get COVID, especially if you already got the vaccine, especially if you never got hit or if you're in the clear. And maybe especially if you've been hit hard, if you've lost folks and you've made it through. We're all climbing upward now we got to keep looking back to pull others up. That's the spirit of the mountains. From coast to coast, from Hawaii to Alaska to Puerto Rico, and everywhere in between, we got to keep helping others up the mountains, spreading that encouragement and that hope. My best friend Todd and his wife Katie had their baby boy. So welcome to the world, baby Ellison. Hope is pouring out now. So keep sharing it and spreading it, especially to the folks who can't see it yet or have never seen it. I bought a set of crampons for my boots about a month ago, and I've used them a ton this winter, walking in the snow and the ice and the mountains. They've given me confidence and hope. When other people don't have them on the bottom of their shoes, they see me chugging along and they ask if they should get a pair. Hope is like a pair of crampons. Or like a python. And climbing a python or a peg or a pin is a metal spike that's driven into a crack or a seam in the climbing surface with a hammer. 
and acts like an anchor to protect the climber against a fall or assist in climbing upward. Hope is the oxygen for America right now. We can't just breathe it. We got to drive it into the side of a mountain like a peg so others can grab on and pull themselves up behind us. That's what the vaccine is, a peg in the mountain. And that's what the new COVID relief bill is. And that's what the $1,400 relief checks and extended unemployment are. And that's especially what the child tax credit is. So take that hope and drive it in the side of a mountain and encourage others to do the same. In America, especially right now in this pandemic, we're all connected. Like a daisy chain of climbers on the side of a mountain, connected by a single rope. We're all climbing this mountain together. And together, we'll get to the top, where the air is cleaner and the view is killer. And we'll keep this movement growing week by week by week. And we'll stay vigilant, because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And with hope in our hearts, it's the path to better days. Pass the hope and drive it in that mountain. And know you're not alone in your vigilance. We're all vigilant. We're all in this together. From Wes Moore to Marjorie Taylor Greene to Meghan Merkel to King Hakeem of Zamunda to the Dalai Lama to you. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanks for listening. Stay frosty and stay vigilant, America. America.